Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, my name is Danielle Fiendarka. I do two things really. I'm co-founder of Utopia, which is a culture change business. We go in and we help build more purposeful, more inclusive and more entrepreneurial cultures. And I'm also co-author of a new book called Creative Superpowers, Equip Yourself for the Age of Creativity. In this series, we will be asking some of the people that have inspired us what the best piece of advice they have ever been given and how it's impacted their careers. Our guests come from a variety of creative backgrounds, including advertising, art, design, fashion, food experimentalism, literature and music. Please do feedback if you enjoy what you hear either by connecting with me on LinkedIn or commenting on Instagram or Twitter. The hashtag for the program is hashtag BPOAE. Welcome to the show, Harry. Uh, can I call you Harry or do you, or do you prefer me to call you by your stage name, Weeps One? I always say uh, you can pick. You can pick? Yeah. Okay. I will I will call you Harry if that's okay. Just spinning the question back there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, um, so for those that don't know, t- tell us who you are. Uh, and what do you do? My name is Harry Yef. Uh, I'm also known as Reap Swan. Um, my beginnings was as a musician, uh, but now I'm a professional multidisciplinary. So I focus on uh, the arts, uh, the, and my speciality is the human voice. So I lecture, speak, perform, do installations, and uh, generally try and make people think about the human voice uh, and new technology. So tell me a bit more because it's not the first. It's actually I only heard it for the first time. So we had uh, at one of the conferences we organised is called Masculine into the Workplace, where Jordan Stevens speak, and mm. I think he talks about multidisciplinary as well. Mm. You know, in terms of just using your creativity over a number of things. Tell us a bit more about that. Well, I think especially in this day and age, uh, to be singular doesn't really work anymore. I think there's so much change, there's so much shift that to limit yourself to one output. Um, it's just a shame, and uh, and I think to survive, uh, especially my generation, um, there's so many more ways to tap into your skill sets and what you're doing. So as I said, I started out as a performer and uh, musician, but then as my uh, career grew, uh, there became more and more opportunities for communication, more and more opportunities for creating work around ideas and subject matters that weren't necessarily associated with the stage. So to be a a term that was said to me is that I'm a professional polymath. So my job is to basically come in and make sure that I uh, am not just achieving in sort of my hyper specialism and it's to this idea of to constantly grow and i uh people say things like jack of all trade masters uh, of oh, none no. yeah. but uh, i think it is possible to be jack of jack of jack of all trades um master of all yeah. and uh it's just it's an attitude and maybe it wouldn't work 10 years ago but now the access to knowledge, the access to variation, it's more than possible. And I think it's the way to go. So I've used the same thing, but I talk about master of many rather than mm. all because I don't think you can do them. No, all. absolutely. And actually, I think, <laughs> I think actually it's failing at something that actually gives you the biggest learning. Oh, of course. And I don't know, I'd be interested. Have you found that, you know, as you've started to expand the things you're doing, doing something else, how has it then influenced what you, the other, the other things that you had been doing? So your spoken word, you know, how's, how's it, 
your voice work how has drawing actually impacted that well yeah so there's really natural like tra- transpositions for me so obviously my job has been for a long time to sort of push the human voice as far as it goes i fell in love with the sort of end potential of uh sort of ex- the expressiveness of what people can do and it's, it's it's a strange time because you think something like the human voice would be limited and sort of understood by now it's as old as we are it's as old as, as humanity itself but with this explosion of voice culture there's hundreds of new techniques and sounds uh and uh, just general exploring and experimentation and that's opened up a whole new door for new ideas in the human voice objectively so if you start thinking about people being mindful of experimenting with their own voices just on a speaking level, that affects their friendships, their relationships, like it's the fundamental part of how we connect to each other. So the years and years and years of me being a part of studies and pushing the voice in a an extreme way and performing transposed into me being able to just talk about more objective ideas with the human voice and that's just a really natural segue and I think those doors open for people all the time but sometimes it's hard to be brave enough to jump into that because maybe it's energy maybe it's fear Um, but it's it's more than possible if you keep your mind open and you can see those natural progressions because I'm not necessarily saying if you're an artist and you want to take up engineering out of nowhere Maybe that is uh, a push in energies, <laughs> but there is an intelligent way of, of bleeding out and creating these new avenues yeah. and variations instead of keeping yourself in a linear funnel. So you talk about the human voice, but for me as a layman, uh, I would know it as beatboxing. Was that right? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a hundred day yeah, beatboxer, of course. Uh, so how, to how, how, I'm just so intrigued. It's, it's actually one of those things that I've just, the minute I see, the minute I first discovered, it, I'm like, how do you discover that that's what you're good at? Well, I I wasn't very good when I started. I think uh, yeah, I was terrible, like anyone is when they start something. But the it was actually it was just my circumstance and and my surrounding because, like, I grew up on a council estate in Warmstow, and uh, I was playing lots of instruments, but I couldn't afford to bring them home. I had to leave them in school, so I actually started to speak the music theory. Was you wouldn't call it beatboxing? It was just to memorize like the next piece I had to learn, but then. When I was a little bit older, so that was just for me and just for learning, I was then surrounded by incredible producers. So like early grime, like early dubstep, like drum and bass, jungle. So those two things kind of fused where the speaking of music theory then started becoming the speaking of the music that was around me. And the question mark, this is the bit I don't know why, when I started to think about how the sounds were made and taking that step from just uh, thinking about the music and using it as a learning tool to them making the sounds there was something in me already and it just clicked so when i realized i didn't have to rely on anyone else i didn't need ableton i didn't need my instruments i could actually make people dance in the moment with my voice that was when i really fell in love with it because before that it was a novelty for me and it was just something i used to learn music but when i realized i could do things with my voice that nothing ableton the instruments couldn't offer me that immediacy that was when I fell in love with it. So that's how it started. So we're not going to we're not going to get you to do a performance now because this equipment won't won't do justice, and we'll probably put, try and put something at the end of the podcast. <laughs> but can you talk me through the technique? What do you what do you have to do in order to get make some of the sounds that you do? Well, it's um it depends what you want to do, but the the most fundamental thing is there are hundreds and hundreds of sounds that you can do outside of the sort of the sort of phonetics so like language based uh, sound making. Um, and you can 
there are similar things to sort of existing instruments. So the most obvious would be, say, like percussion. Um, there's already sort of three very percussive sounds in your spoken alphabet. So everyone out there can already start doing percussions just by uh, just by speaking but t and k, which is obviously really obvious. But when you start to kind of delve into the more technical side of it, so if you were to transpose that into more uh, beatbox focused sounds, you have p t k, but then they can connect in interesting ways. So p t So those are just three sounds, and you find the connections, you find the way that they uh, work together, and then you can achieve this same flow that you do with speech. So in the same way I'm talking to you, that immediacy, that's why it's interesting. Um, but then more electronic sounding sounds, which was my beginning, you get things like LFOs and like Reese bass lines. It's quite early for this one. <laughs> But there's like traditional techniques like Tuvan throat singing um, and like multiphonics. So like Tuvan throat singing. And uh, multiphonics is a technique that came from, it's an innovation that actually came from uh, jazz playing in the 60s. So when brass, uh, people playing brass instruments, they would sing through the buzz tone on like a trumpet, for example. But if you use it in a uh, voice context, you can actually uh, sing multiple uh, isolated notes, like chords. So, and you can move those independently. And this is when it starts to get strange and technical. Yeah, yeah. But that's like that's like a fraction of what's possible. Uh, and that's the, what I show there is almost like a display. But then sitting in a studio being on stage you can write and compose just like with any other instrument but you have an immediacy like a flow which is unique to the human voice and uh my beginnings of course was in music like for example the sounds i just did and if i was to perform i'm performing my subjective musical taste i might be doing a genre or something yeah. which might not be everyone's sort of cup of tea that's my subjective interest as an artist but there is this much bigger objective conversation happening now it's that involves the tool of the voice and how it affects our ideas, the flow state we can achieve with voice. And people do not think about that. And you would never think something like beatboxing would turn academics' heads, voice therapists' heads, um, thinkers in terms of how far we can push that tool. It's a really unlikely match. But when you take away taste in music and subjective musical interest, there's all these new conversations opening up and it kind of, the world came at me in that way. I didn't expect it myself. Mm. I was interested in trying to be the best musician I could for myself and to try and uh, make my fans have the best time at a show. But then the more academics that would get in touch, the more interesting opportunities that would come to me, it became my job to kind of try and bridge that gap between the musical world and maybe the more novel aspect of it and this sort of higher purpose. And that that's what I, I enjoy doing now is kind of having the most difficult conversations around uh, those subject matters. Well, I think it's fascinating. I mean, you you got to speak at the World Economic Forum last yes. year in Shanghai, <laughs> which I thought was fantastic. Um, how was that? Uh, definitely the peak of my 
um, sort of the monster that I've created, <laughs> that was definitely uh, sort of a huge achievement. Again, like me growing up in Walthamstow, I um, uh, and, and my background to kind of take on concept and to start speaking and to really like respect the fact that sometimes artistic ideas and creative ideas are uh, have a place. Like there are other conversations which are maybe political or trying to solve real problems. Um, sometimes artwork is uh, there for to entertain or to distract people. But when you can, if you do start taking on the challenge of going, hold on, there's something more here. You really need to know what you're doing. Like you can't just be bolstering things up and trying to sort of run with the novelty as far as it goes, especially in an environment like the World Economic Forum. Um, <laughs> so that experience really was, uh, I was there to talk about communication. Um, I gave one of the first creative talks that's ever happened at the yeah, forum. That's amazing. And in my mind, I'm not thinking, oh my God, like, wow, I'm at the forum uh, or wow, this is, um, uh, this is uh, a, a peak for me. It was like, I have a responsibility here to show art and music and show the purpose of that in this wider conversation and how thinking about art and music and uh, and I use the hinge of the voice uh, can help people connect and they need to be thinking about connection. Um, I mean, and that was my job there. Yeah, which I loved. You said we must connect beyond language. We must connect beyond worlds. Mm. What do you mean by that? Well, it's a, it's a words. So yeah. Words, yeah, sorry. Yeah. So if, for example, I'm talking now and all the people out there that are listening, whether you like it or not, you have been judging me this whole time. And yes, there's the words that I'm saying, but on the tone of my voice and the spacing and the rhythm and all these things. And that's called a paralanguage. So that's the abstract contribution to communication and connection. And you have no control over it. So intellect and uh, uh, sort of articulation and clarity, all these things, of course, like words are so, so important. But there is a question in quality of connection and actually a lot of quality of connection comes from the abstract the the power language part of communication when if you're talking to people how are you saying it your body language if you hug someone how long do you hold them for like it, you just pat them on the back let me go let me go so there's actually a lot to be said to for us to to connect beyond text messages to connect beyond the messages we send each other is to actually think about the quality of that middle space that power language it has a huge impact on how we connect to each other and you could say that is actually the realm of the artist and the musician uh that is uh, something to be challenged it's empathy and music connects people, art connects people. And all of you out there are artists with your voices, but sometimes you just never, ever think about it. So we must connect beyond language. You know, and I think what's really interesting, because, you know, voice is so important to you, but also you were just talking about text messages and WhatsApps. And, mm. and you know, we certainly, we do a lot of work going into businesses to get them to connect more. And actually, there's a new generation coming through that just don't speak as much as they do. They don't pick the f they don't yeah. pick they don't pick the phone up. And actually, even now, I will phone a friend or phone a, some a peer, and they'll go, "Oh, did I miss a call?" You know, you kind of have to to phone someone now in the work that's context. Weird. You have to it's weird book, to call people. Yeah, you know, uh, you why, have to why are they calling it, me? You have to book it in. I mean, do you think that's do you think that that, that that's an issue within society? I think it, it's hard for me to say if it's an issue. That's like a much bigger 
bigger question, but I, I definitely think it's something to think about. I think it's something to... Uh, everyone just... Everyone deserves quality connections. And I think... I think we are... Just like a diet, you need certain types of nutrition. There's uh, certain things you need to eat to be healthy. I think the same thing applies to communication and connection. And uh, screens don't offer you your entire diet of communication and i think there's uh again yeah maybe i i it's it's my love and it's my passion but i think everyone has a voice there's just this whole wealth of wealth of things to think about there so think about it and it's just and it's just it's a it's a suggestion because you have to just be careful to um yeah, I think screens are a little, again, a little bit like, uh, almost like a, they just work so well, don't they? It's just so nice to go on your phone and check Instagram and Twitter. It's, it's just like, mmm, mmm, all the numbers and like, oh, oh seven likes, hundred likes, thousand likes, mmm, wow. And uh, you, yeah, you just, you need to think about that. Yeah. So the big question now. So what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given and by whom? Ooh, yes. Um... It's always hard to know who's listening and what type of people are listening to this, but I'm just, I'm just going to genuinely talk from my, my own experience. Um, it's a phrase I heard. Uh, it was a piece of advice I got when I was a lot younger, actually. Um, it's with every success, you dip yourself in brass. And it's not so much advice, it's a warning. And what that means is when you become good at something and you start to do it more and more, the thing you're good at can actually become a prison for you because you end up say it's a job, uh, say it's like um, uh, sort of an academic specialism, say it's being on stage, for example, you achieve, uh, you start developing this career and then there's that moment of like, oh my God, I have to do this forever now. Oh my God. Have, are you setting up things to make sure that the brass around you has not become too set, like you can't smash out of it and change? So uh, what that told me, it just directly impacted this idea of to be multidisciplinary and not in a wishy-washy way, is to be truly multidisciplinary. Make sure that you're building uh, this modular portfolio so I can pick and choose the appropriate thing for the opportunity that comes along so that I'm the sort of successes I've had and the things I love and I'm good at don't end up trapping me and I can't do anything else. So uh, yeah, don't don't dip yourself in brass so much that you can't move anymore. And you said that was you when you initially mentioned when you mentioned chess, and that was related yeah. to chess. I mean, how? I, what, give me that context. Well, yeah. So I, I'm a bit of a paradox. It's not something that people kind of expect from. I guess nothing I'm doing is uh, is sort of linear. But um, again, I had quite a, a. I was a happy kid. I loved my parents, but I had quite a rough upbringing in terms of the area I was in and the situation I was in, and. Uh, I would get into trouble. Um, but then, um, yeah, chess was the first thing that kind of gave me an objective uh, foundation. It taught me consequence and like, I'm responsible for my own decisions. And, and I, I was good at it. It was something that I, I felt I was a tournament player. I played for my county up till about 16 when I realized that you can't really share chess and start doing other things. Um, but yeah, it was actually my chess coach that told me that. Uh, apparently, it's, it's a saying that Kasparov says. It's something to do with style. So within... People won't know, but maybe within chess, you can end up building up certain things you're good at. But the whole thing is you need to be you need to be rounded. And uh, it was just a lesson into not just keep doing the things that come natural, natural to you. If you find this type of thing hard, practice, pr 
practice your weaknesses. So uh, yeah, that's a little bit of a curveball. People don't necessarily expect me to be an ex-tournament chess player. Um, and you know, we've just talked about advice. I mean, how how looking at your career, how important has advice been for you? I mean, do you, do, is it something you go out to seek? I think it's uh, it's literally in my blood. It's, it's such a deep part of everything that I do, whether it's traveling, whether it's meeting people. Uh, I am, My friends always laugh at me because I always create new challenges for myself. Um, as soon as I feel like something is happening or settled, I need to, uh, yeah, I need to break out of it. Um, like a, a great example of that is me. Um, there's a person in the room now, CJ Carr, is an incredible artist and uh, programmer that I'm working with at the moment. And our relationship came from me taking on new challenge and uh, going to Boston and Cambridge. So yeah, I, I think I, I live uh, and follow this mantra that you can't, you shouldn't settle. Obviously, you don't want to stress yourself out, and you don't want to kind of. You don't want to uh, run yourself dry, which of course is uh, something to be careful of. You don't want to spread yourself out so you run out of energy. But the idea of uh, not not becoming stagnant and keeping moving, keeping limber conceptually is, yeah, I, I think I embody that. And so what, and so what advice, so someone standing here now listening to this who's a creative, uh, what advice would you give them in terms of how do you, and they, and they like this idea of being multidisciplinary, what advice would you give them? Um, I would say that think about, so I call them like transposition. So it's things that you might be doing already that there might be a left or right turn, which are directly connected to it, but it, it opens up a, a new avenue and door, uh, avenue door. If you're a visual artist picking up a new program, like finding out what new software is out there that allows you to experience a new medium. Um, uh, also to experience new technology, I think is a, is a huge, huge thing. Um, there is no excuse for for not looking for innovation these days. There is so much happening. Someone said to me the other day that everything everything's been done, and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" It's like it's a time of of explosion and change. Um, so yeah, the the tech world offers so much interesting uh, exploration, and it's yeah just to to um to make sure that you're you're cleaning out your cobwebs so you're not you're doing something that you find uh tough and difficult um i think it's the combination of things that just help with again breaking out of your cycle don't think you need to put a ceiling on what you're doing um or what what your current career is maybe it's a side hustle maybe it's a hobby but find those things which are one, two steps removed from what you're already doing because you just don't know what kind of doors will open up. Because I guarantee that whoever is listening, whatever it is you are doing right now, there is another th- uh, thing to pick up which will carve out a whole new path for you. And that doesn't need to interrupt you. It can be fun. It can be a little bit hard. Um, but yeah, you, you, everybody deserves n- new opportunities. Yeah, so one of the bits of advice that I've always remembered uh, I, was do something interesting and something interesting will happen to you. Mm. It's really it's really what, you know, by doing things that are different, at, you don't know what's, you don't know where it's going to go. And that can be the unexpected. So sometimes it doesn't go anywhere. Mm. But that's also fine. But it's actually the unexpected things that happen that make it really interesting. Absolutely. And actually an additional point is, and some people find this really, really hard, but learn to speak about your craft. It's so important. I th- I think there is a, a cross section of let's say specifically creatives right now. 
that don't feel the need to explain what they're doing. They're doers. And that's great. Um, but if you do learn to communicate about your craft and what you're doing, it just allows you to connect more dots and it allows you to allow people to experience your ideas before they've happened. And that's a huge, huge thing. I think, yeah, ideas, communication of ideas and uh, are a massive, massive um, important thing for growth. But also when you say something out loud, it's funny how it actually sort of informs yourself. Sometimes you think you know something, yep. but it's only when you say it, you know, like you give advice to a friend that, that you are not doing yourself. Yeah, I'm 100%. 100%. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you have this conceptual ideal. Uh, I've had situations where I'm giving lectures or talks and as I'm saying there's this extra sort of three or four sentences I'm like yeah I'd never thought of that before but this makes so much <laughs> sense now so you're saying things out loud is just a really healthy thing and you you connect dots and and yourself with other people uh yeah which is just obviously really really important so I um, one of the things I run with a friend of mine is a culture change business so we do a lot of work in inclusion diversity so at the moment you know we're, we're doing quite a bit of work around neurodiversity so mm. it really intrigued me on the post that you wrote which is really and there's two there were two elements to it first you talking about how your ADD has really helped your career yeah uh, but secondly I think it was you gave some advice uh, to people who found themselves being labeled mm. can you talk a bit more about that yeah, it's it's a it's a huge subject. Sometimes, um, yeah, I like to have the right context to, to sort of deep dive into it. But it's it's a simple idea. Like regarding me, um, I am impulsive. Uh, I'm sure that's had a huge influence on the way my sort of job has manifested. And of course, uh, ADD is associated like it has disorder in in the title. So it's a fair, just that everyone knows, doesn't know, that's attention deficit disorder. Yeah, attention deficit disorder. And um, I think it's you have to be very careful not to talk for a, a mass of people and a whole chunk of neurodiversity. Like, I'm not speaking on behalf of all of ADD culture and, and individuals. There's so much to it. But just talking about my own experience and the way I've been talking about it for a long time and the direct impact my ideas have had on, say, my fan base, for example. Um, you you can manifest and channel that uh, impulsiveness into something highly productive. I think there is a possibility uh, to use that impulsion and because it is drive in some way. Mm. The issue is, is if that drive pushes you into something that is like non-harmonizing or non-productive, then yeah, you hit a dead end. Um, but for me, what I learned was I don't do things uh, in a linear fashion i'm i'm a i'm a, a cycle everything is cyclical so instead of uh say i'm trying to do a, a painting i get uh this other idea this thing flashes to me and i want to i get i get this sort of uh impulsion or or drive instead of them going on my phone i'll have another drawing <laughs> Um, and then I'll have my laptop and then I'll have my mic set up. And what I'll do is I'll go around in cycles. Mm. Um, so that's a term called triangulation. So instead of uh, um, f uh, focusing on one thing, you then functionally distract yourself. Yep. And that's just something that's really, really worked for me in terms of my own process. But I think people really need to think about uh, what is a way of, of using that process or that impulsion to your advantage because a lot of the most high achieving artists and musicians and entrepreneurs I know 
were labelled with ADD when they were younger. There's actually a much more complex conversation going on in the world, but also with yourself and the labels. So again, it's not my place to try and uh, diminish uh, the negativity around ADD, but there is a huge amount of ADD process that is associated with hyperfocus. Yep. So yep. people that are impulsively, uh, functionally obsessive are ADD. And it's just something that's not spoken about a lot. And that's the thing I care about the most. Instead of, I think there should be a spectrum of conversation about it. And most people, when you talk about that form of neurodiversity, it's, it tends to be in the camp of uh, learning interruption. But actually, in spe- specifically in adult life, and when people are out of school and they're responsible for themselves, there's a huge, huge number of the most high achieving people in the world when it comes to innovation and self-learning that you would associate with ADD. Mm. And it's not always spoken about. Yep. So uh, I can't, I'd love, I would love to, can't talk on the behalf of all young people, but it is just this idea of like, you can manifest that impulse into something productive. And again, if we go back to the beginning, like what I'm doing now as an artist, um, this, I spoke about this at Harvard University, uh, I did an exhibition about it in uh, 2016, which was called ADO, which is Attention Deficit Order. So it was like the manifestation of all the different things that I, I produced at, yep. with my impulsive process. There's there's a way of creating an internal dialogue uh, to maybe mine that power that I think does exist. And it's a bigger conversation to debate. But that's something I just would like people to think about if they have ever been labeled with that with ADD, if they have a son, a daughter, an uncle, a brother that has that process, it's just to to not kind of just take the label as face value, but to take ownership to understanding it and find uh, that way of understanding. Because the funny thing is, is on, the, for example, the Wikipedia page about ADD, they talk about uh, definition and learning difficulties and all these things. And right underneath it is a whole study mentioned about uh, the function of that type of process in evolutionary society. So how the impulsive individuals were the one that went over the hill <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to check it out. Maybe uh, maybe uh, 80% of them were eaten by something, but that 20% <laughs> found yeah. found the next like pasture, which is a really crude generalization. But you get the idea. It's uh, It's very dangerous to categorize these things as like just humanly non-functioning and that's something that i i care about well i think neurodiversity in itself is just recognizing that we have a lot of people have brains that work differently mm. and everything we do in diversity is recognizing the value that provides because mm. you know and you need people that actually have come from different angles so you know 100 percent on your page yeah and the, the crazy thing is is maybe again 15 years ago it was a lot harder to be uh to to be different in general um but i have different ways of approaching things but everyone is confused now i think you look at any any sort of hierarchy of of system or idea or industry uh, academia and everything is shifting so in that chaos like everything's moving so fast i think it's the 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 hyper um yeah the hyper passionate sort of obsessive impulsive um doers are the ones that are kind of uh, making an impact and yeah i de- I just couldn't be doing what i'm doing now maybe even yeah. like 10 years ago so it's good timing mum and dad yeah, yeah well, well done um so what's exciting you right now what's what's 2019 looking mm, like? um yeah so 
I have a documentary coming out, which is really exciting. Um, I've never I've never worked on something for over a year before. That that was that was a a new perspective on things. Um, I last year I became an artist in residence at Bell Labs, which is uh, I'll let people kind of look into what they do. They've just invented quite a few things really. quite quite <laughs> a few, few things. things quite important things yeah it's it's a bit silly uh and again quite amazing what they do um they um they have a huge history in voice innovation and uh yeah just paving the way for new ideas on on a crazy level and i was so honored to become an artist in residence which uh, led me to basically going on this global journey um exploring the idea of how is the human voice evolving um, how has uh, experimenting with music, uh, examples of beatboxing um, and new ideas in technology just contributing to this new idea of, of a future voice. Um, and it goes to uh, a, n- a number of different places. Uh, and I'm just v- really excited for people to sort of experience that. So we're going to be doing a number of screenings throughout uh, the world over the next sort of year. Um, and uh, tomorrow we're screening at the BFI. It's a, a huge honor to have a film that I've made um, at the BFI. Uh, but it was, of course, it wasn't just myself. It's been a huge team that have contributed to that. Um, CJ Carr, again, who's in the room, features. Uh, and Lonely Leap, um, Simon at Lonely Leap as the director, uh, has been a huge facilitator to, uh, for what, what we've done. But in short, we explore these these new ideas around the voice. We show how... My story, how uh, beatboxing and voice culture is exploding hundreds of th- hundreds and hundreds of thousands of new like uh, vo- vocal artists, um, how the academic world is interested in, in that world, therapy. Uh, I go to the Lavelle School for the Blind in New York where they're actually teaching beatboxing and vocal experimentation um, to kids that are on all different parts of the spectrum um, from severe autism to able but uh but being blind and deaf and beatboxing has uh been the first group activity that's worked and more specifically there's an incredible artist there called uh kayla who has been using beatboxing to teach the kids to speak so when they're speaking through a musical system so uh, they turn words into beats so say like um buttercup which sounds very simple for us um, they're using uh, that where normally there's non-articulation, they struggle to form any words because they've been practicing, they're able to form words and now there's a f- uh, quite a few examples now of kids being able to communicate and have more control over their voices, which is so much more beyond anything that I expected and beyond music, that is like objective purposefulness. Um, but then we go to somewhere quite exciting, which is the work I'm doing with CJ. We created an AI second voice. So CJ works with uh, Dada bots and we're able to send hours of data, be it speaking um, and uh, or me performing. And what we end up is with this uh, generated audio that sounds just like me speaking, but with uh, without understanding English. So they're taking all the stylistic content of what I am and I'm able to interact with this tool. So when I started feeding it me performing, it started to beatbox. Wow. So it sounded like a second me, but it was doing patterns I've never done before and wow. generating these new ideas. 
So I, I, I had this sort of moment and I said to CJ, I was like, can I collaborate with this? And, and is it a collaboration? Is it me? Is it not? Is it creativity? Is it not? And uh, that's how the documentary piece ends. So it's actually me having this, uh, this collaboration with this second voice um, inside of the anechoic chamber at Nokia Bell Labs. Um, and uh, I had to embody the AI. So we laser map onto some of the... Um, uh, the structures that they have in there and I have this conversation uh, and I, I teach it, it learns and the it, we perform and now that's a, a track which people will hear at some point. Oh, that's amazing. So that, that's like a, a crash course um, and it just kicks up a lot of questions about identity and uh, yeah, if you can imitate and create and generate new voices, uh, like what does that say for uh, for creativity with AI, I think there's a lot of established um, growth in, for example, if you wanted to build a sort of self-driving car network um, system, AI is going to be a lot better at that than, say, a human mm. being. But within the world of the arts, like what, there's a lot more question marks with AI regarding creativity. And I like the idea of like, when will be the first AI masterpiece? Like, can you have yeah, yeah. an AI masterpiece? It's a much, it's a, it's a difficult, difficult question. So we made, uh, I made this piece and, and sort of decided to, to d do that performance because I just wanted to raise awareness about the technology. I also wanted to, to make people realize that the sort of the general ideas around AI are, quite often damaged by science fiction it's not really how it is and uh for people to see and engage with a piece of art that maybe makes them think see this tool as a tool it's a ai is an incredible tool it can power nuclear weapons or it can save millions and millions of people um we just need to know about it and a lot of people don't so uh hopefully uh the ideas are there if people want to dive into it but the actual performance piece as a piece of art i hope it's something that just creates some intrigue well i think it's amazing what's happening so uh, a friend of mine pete trainer uh, i think he was featured recently in one of the one of the sunday papers but he actually worked and i didn't hear him speak but i know he spoke at one of our events and he talked about um he worked with a friend of his who was terminally ill uh, and he's actually recreated that person uh, who can now still talk, so he's passed away, mm. but you can still have that conversation with them, you know, and that's that's and that's just you know it's fascinating, un, you know, unbelievable, and, and what we're starting to see is some of the stuff we see in sci-fi sci actually happening, mm. but there's still a lot of question marks of where it's going to go, and I, I'm, I think fundamentally believe in the good of people, and as long as we stay on the good, then we're going to use technology for the good. Well, yeah, I think that that's maybe a more accurate way of saying it is that. Like the idea of, of sentience and like loss of control or dominance, it doesn't s sit within the AI itself. It's a conversation about the use of the tool. Would you say that's right, CJ? Yeah, and it, it's the it's the it, how people use these tools yep. is what's going to dictate the future. And I think a massive important uh, thing with that is for people to know about it, and it not just be this old school narrative where they're thinking of how from 2001 space odyssey uh it's a much bigger and more updated conversation so for people to make an informed decision about these tools uh it's important that people are engaging with it on a even a superficial level as but as long as it's um yeah it's leading to a more rigorous 
understanding. So final question, what's your creative superpower? Yeah. Uh, the easy answer is um, is contemporary dance. No, I'm kidding. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, my creative superpower. Is it one I don't have that I want? Or is it is it something that, that I'm, I'm a little have. bit proud of? Well, would you tell us one you'd want? Well, I, I love... I love speaking to people like I love I love the art of conversation and uh yeah I think I always say I have but I think my my goal and dream is to set out to to make people either understand like new ideas or themselves and to bring it full circle I I believe that the voice is a huge huge part of that whether it's a podcast or with your your best friend you've known for 70 years. I think that sits at the very center of it. So I would like to think I have a superpower when it comes to, to my voice. Well, I mean, that's that's nice way for me to close off because I think we've gone, I've enjoyed our conversation so much. I think we've gone about 15 minutes over time. Oh, no. But um, Sorry. Th- thank, thank you, Harry. Uh, really good luck with the documentary. Well, for, the, for those that are looking for it and want to find it, what's it called? It's called We Speak Music um, and we're going to be releasing it on a, uh, an incredible channel, Swiss Beatbox. Um, they have like 1.5 million subscribers, one of a really good friend uh, and, and colleague set that up um and it's going to be coming very very soon so uh yeah thanks for listening brilliant thank you this podcast is sponsored by creative superpowers the book that gives you the skills to thrive in the age of creativity now available on amazon and all good bookshops